Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. I am indeed here. I'm so here. All right, so if you've been reading the exciting Minneapolis-St. Paul magazine blog, you've been following the exploits of Scott Pompu. He is a chef. He kind of started the farm-to-table movement here. Not him, but, like, a bunch of people. He's part of that founding generation. People like Lucia Watson, Brenda Langton, um, you know, just... Lenny Russo, of course. Don't even forget Lenny Russo. Uh, ever. He's he's doing great stuff out in, uh, out in Lake Minnetonka at the 925. Thank you. I just it was like 905? 925. 925. Uh, and so when I first met Scott Pompu, I was like a little baby and I didn't know anything. I was straight out of New York City. I really, my idea of farming was the same one that like preschoolers get in picture books. It was like a guy and standing in overalls with a smiling pig near a red barn. I mean, I knew nothing. And Scott was a person who was just like, have you thought about where your meat comes from? <laughs> it actually, this actually matters. And this, I look back at that and you think like, oh, no one could be that naive. No, I think a lot of people are that naive. A lot of Americans grow up in TV rooms. I grew up in a city. I grew up looking at a television. Food was something that came out of different sorts of stores. I mean, like I had no real connection I remember the first time someone was like, the soil is different from dirt. And I was just like, what? What are you talking about? (laughs) And then I learned, I learned the thousands of thousands of things that I know now about how soil is living, um, how animals that are raised on pasture uh, taste better, how they are a part of the, the natural ecosystem. I mean, so many things. And you think everybody just knows this. No, nobody just knows this. You got to learn these things. Um, And so I learned a ton of things. I learned them from Scott. If you've been following the Minneapolis St. Paul Magazine blog, then you know that Scott uh, recently took over McKinney and Row. That is a restaurant in the new east town of Minneapolis. That's the area by the stadium that we spent a billion dollars developing that hopefully will fly. So right by the old armory, right by the new stadium, McKinney and Row, Scott took it over. He recently brought back the famous Modern Cafe Pot Roast. So they're doing that on Thursdays. If you're an old school Minneapolis restaurant person, you know that pot roast. That was like changed everything. Uh, it it brought our comfort foods into the modern era. It uh, really galvanized a, a generation to be like, yeah, that's what pot roast is supposed to taste like. Um, not the, I don't know, I don't want to trash talk the... Crock pot and Lipton 
uh, envelope thing. But you know what I mean. Like, that's not that good. Like, a really all-day pot roast is a beautiful thing. Um, and so Scott has been part of this. This long introduction is to say that Scott has been part of the food farm nexus for so many years. And I have had a little bit of a crisis lately in that I feel like I talk about farm to table and certain people, you know who you are, their eyes glaze over because they've been hearing this message for 20 years. It's not new. It's not exciting. A lot has been a lot of erosion at the edges with like fake farms and kind of greenwashing of fake farms. And people don't it doesn't have the urgency anymore. There are like a ton of farmers markets. People feel like they maybe know their farmer, like mm-hmm. maybe they got on that train. So I wanted to have Scott in to talk about 20 years in. We're really in the thick of it. Like there's a, a – here, I'm going to go all intellectual on you. There's a playwright named David Mamet, and he is uh, – he wrote Glen Gary, Glenn Ross, you know, that great movie, a bunch of stuff. He has this book that I love very much, and he talks about how, you know, first act – you come in and the characters are all bright and shiny and they have a problem and things are exciting. And the second act uh, of a story, like you're just – you went into the swamp. You're going to try to get through it. And then all of a sudden there's alligators and holes and mud and nothing's very fun. You can't see your way out. I feel like we in local food are a little bit having second act problems. Like we're a little bit besieged on all sides. It's kind of boring. Nothing feels fresh and new and fun anymore. Like how do we keep – you know, wh- how do we get out of this? How do we get to the next part where we win or something like that? So uh, that's what I wanted to have Scott here for. So Scott Pompu and I, I told him before we got on the air that we are just going to, uh, we're going to touch the third rail. We're going to put both hands on it. We're just going to torpedo all our careers. Just why not? Uh, and we're going to do all this right now. And we're going to talk about, among other things, tomatoes. What is the right tomato? We're going to talk about all the the labor issues. We're going to talk about how to source meat, like all the things that you think, like these are complicated issues. So Scott Pompu, welcome to the show, and let's ruin everything. Thank you, and good night. You've said it all. You've said it all. All right, so I don't even know where to start. We were having a very interesting conversation in the green room about tomatoes, and let's Uh kind of set the stage tomatoes we are in glorious peak tomato season right we're Mm -hmm. gonna get another six weeks of these Mm -hmm. uh you go to the farmer's market you get good tomatoes you Mm -hmm. go out to your yard you get good tomatoes tomatoes are happening we got 10 months a year where this is not the case right what let's see where to go um do you remember in the 1990s, all of a sudden people realized that tomatoes had been turned into these pink softballs, right? right. So we had this weird situation right. where the people had figured out how to grow them in Florida using, I will say, true, we used to call them slave tomatoes, like really yeah. bad labor. Yeah. Uh, so people earning pennies an hour, like being beaten. I mean, like mm-hmm. really like bad situation and – creating bad tomatoes. So these pink softballs will be grown in horrible, chemical-saturated, terrible labor situations in Florida. We knew nothing about it. We're Mm -hmm. just going in the local store, picking up a pink softball, cutting into it and saying, oh, this tastes like a potato. Mm -hmm. I don't like it. Right. Now it's now, and let's talk about what has happened. So there have been greenhouses established. There have been farmer's market, but we all know the the dirty secret. Mm -hmm. You can't get Minnesota. Look under the table, people. Look under the table. Okay, so let's talk about (laughs) tomatoes. What do you 
What do you see? What do you see as a chef when you look at your tomato options? So here, two things. Two things on the tomato thing, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna try and take it back to the plate because I think this is this this is ultimately what it's about. Is that for me? What you were just mentioning right now is is tomatoes in season, tomatoes off the vine, the smell of that oil rubbing off of the you know leaves of a tomato plant, and you just it just engulfs you. It's a perfume. And, you know, if I can <clears throat> hearken to uh, someone else in, in, in this city as well as nationally, um, Lynn Rosetta Casper, you know, has this infatuation with heirloom tomatoes. And As I re- do I. Yes. As does and, everybody. And They're I, amazing. And, yeah. But I remember having a conversation with her sitting in Iowa at um, Paul Willis's ranch for Nyman Ranch. And the conversation was – Heirloom. Not everything is an heirloom. Not everything just because it's got a weird shape or a weird color or a weird size should be classified as an heirloom. And there has to be some understanding. And and just as you said in the open, that this is about education. This is about just pick up the Google box that you carry around every day and just Google heirloom tomatoes and understand what they are and learn what they are and then find that. Because I think a lot now, of what people I do. Like I don't, now I feel like you've t- turned my world upside down. <laughs> what do you mean? I mean, so, you know, there's the sti- there's, okay, the idea of heirloom, let's unpack right. it, is right. that these are supposed to be seeds that different gardeners pr- love so much right. that they would tend the seeds and pass right. them down right. for generation and generation. Seed savers, all sorts of people. Uh, Courtney over at Cornucopia at the University of Minnesota, again, has this infatuation with tomatoes. She saves seeds. She grows seeds. Um, I spent some time with her on her farm over there. It is gorgeous. She has more tomatoes than any one person should be allowed to grow. But she does it because she has the passion for it and she wants to learn about them. So maybe so a what, classic variety is something like uh, exact, Brandywine. Brandywine right. is Brandywine is super. You know, but people will say Sunburst or Sungold are okay, so heirloom you're, tomatoes. You're saying that the, then, then there are um, – you know, one of the things that I get every year is I go to the friend's uh, plant sale and I get these little ones called Matt's Wild. And mm-hmm. they're very close to the original tomatoes, right. and they which right. were, grow in Peru. And they exactly. were just these, these vines that go crazy and they make tomatoes that are l- like a large shell pea. Mm-hmm. And they're so sweet and they crack when you pick them there. Yeah. They're, you know, you could never have them in a restaurant because right. as soon as you pull them, right. they start to, yeah. you have to eat them Leaching in the garden. And you just eat them right away. Right. And so is that an heirloom? That I would say is an heirloom because because where I'm going with this, and, and, and I know you understand this more than a lot of people, is that words matter. And especially in food, when we talk about what we're talking about over the last 20 years in Minneapolis, when it comes to farm to table, words matter. And you can't just use them interchangeably with other words. You can't get a container of multicolored tomatoes and assume they're all heirloom tomatoes. Oh, and so this is where you're going. So you're saying that then modern agribusness has has come up with some tomatoes that look or from a distant – Okay, so you're saying that modern agribusiness has some tomatoes that some may think are heirloom, but Mm -hmm. they're not. Mm -hmm. And you object to those because why? The reason I object to those is because for every time that happens, for every time something is introduced in a laboratory because we have to feed the world, because we have to feed the people, because I know all the arguments, all of those conversations – because every time we do that, we're not looking to what we have – 
in front of us, which is the ability to recultivate all of these seeds that are there and start producing them to the level that they should be so they become more accessible. How is this not dead-end nostalgia? Like if it, it, it has nothing to do with nostalgia. It has to do with repetitive agriculture. It, it has to do with why a monoculture or a monocrop does not work in terms of farming and agriculture. Talk to any farmer, whether they're 90 or they're 22 right now, and you will get a conversation that talks about we do not we do we never plant the same thing over and over again. We always rotate okay, our crops. That we, we know take care you have to right. do that because the soil will get depleted. But you need and you, the pests will build up. Like right. we know this to be true. Right. But, we know this to be true. But there's a large group of people between 90 and 22 that tried to prove all of that wrong, and that's where farm to table sort of gets murky to me. Is that's where you have people that are saying. Well, this is heritage and, and this is heirloom and we're, we're trying to produce more because the demand is high. For me, when you talk about where we started with tomatoes is that right now, it's August. Go pick your tomatoes. Go smell that perfume on the vines, especially on rainy days. I mean, it is just amazing. Um, but guess what? We should stop eating tomatoes at a point. Ooh, we should stop eating when? tomatoes in probably October. October? Because a probably, and then we got to wait until yeah. May? And then maybe June? we should wait. Maybe we should go off a tomato for a period of time and not oh, expect it on see, every yeah. sandwich, on every lunch, in every restaurant, in every sandwich. Everything that we do in December, January, February does not need a tomato because you're forcing the hand of consumerism and I want it. And this is why I think Farm to table started to get murky, has been murky because, well, we know you want it, so let's go hydroponic, right? Hydroponic will save the world. Everybody said. All right. So I've, I am still – I am closer to having toddlers <laughs> than you are. And uh, I, I grappled with this with strawberries. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it's like I did not – I bought California strawberries in you know February, March, April right. for my people because right. they – Six months is too long to go without the antioxidants, without the, you know. But what about citrus in January when it actually is in season coming out of Florida and it is actually beautiful and better? I think everything has a season. Multiple times a day, children do. You got to feed them not just citrus one time you got maybe hang we out should and maybe them. we should we should work on a balanced diet so we're not so binging on you know one thing because they're it's been absent in their diet maybe it is more about real food and you no know way, that's man. They, children are supposed to have and adults are supposed to have nine servings of fruits and vegetables who? a day says, who? says everybody you know for <laughs> For you can't just raise a child on potatoes and oatmeal. It's not eighteen ten. All right, we got to take a break, pay some commercials. We're gonna continue to fight about tomatoes and strawberries when we come back. All right, Dara here, Minneapolis St. Paul magazine critic and fighter with Scott Pompu, who is here. He is the chef of McKinney and Row. We have been in this community a long time cooking, and we're just trying to even get to the bottom of. The tomato situation. So the long and short of it is, uh, what is the right what tomato to eat? Like, what? how do you, how, you know, we're, we've been in this farm to table space for so long and we were fighting in the green room about uh, bushel boy tomatoes. 
Good or bad? I say good. Scott says bad. We've taken this on. Did I say bad? When did I say okay, bad? Okay, you didn't say bad. There, we'll I didn't go. Necessarily all right, say first of all, bad. I got to listen to the <laughs> listeners. They have texted in to say, what have they done to tomatoes to make their skin so tough? When I was a child, they weren't like that. That is yeah. a great point, listener, yeah. because that yeah. is a shipping issue. Yep, yeah. that is a 100% shipping issue. 90. I would say 85 to 90% of all produce is is picked raw, is picked unripe, is not ready on the vine, and then it is put into cases, and it is stabilized, and it is shipped yeah, they put in trucks. In, and, they pump nitrogen. Yeah, and something. then they take it, and then they put it into what they refer to at a lot of distribution houses as a ripening room. So, right. which is they basically they they gas. they get. I don't know. I've I'm not. I don't claim to be a doctor or a scientist on TV. <laughs> so I don't know what they do to it. But hey, funny after they uh, it all of a sudden starts to to ripen, and then you get all this pretty fruit, and then they put it out on the shelves, and yeah, that's it's, not it's how ethylene gas. And yeah. I have been. Um, <clears throat> I am generally you, suspicious Google. of. Yeah, thank you, Google. Uh, I'm generally suspicious of. Things that kind of short circuit. I feel like God in his infinite wisdom put a, an amazing sensor on our heads, right? And mm-hmm. so we can smell if things are fresh and we can right. taste if things are fresh. And right. we know when things are nutritious. Yep. Like that's what you're – when your body – when you taste the difference between a sun-ripened tomato mm-hmm. and a dead, fleshy, pink, softball tomato, yep. your body, your taste buds, they are telling you like this one's yep. full of nutrients. This one's not right. good. Avoid. Like, that's right. what's happening. And when we short-circuit that, I am suspicious. Like, I have nothing but suspicion and contempt for uh, fish gassing, where mm-hmm. they basically uh, gas tuna fillets to make them yeah. look fresh, but Brighter they're not. Color. Like that's, yeah. I don't like it. It freaks yeah. me out. But that's a side. Okay, so you're saying. Or carotene to feed that goes into salmon to increase the color on fish. Oh, yeah, that's so. creepy. That's a good point. <laughs> okay, so we. So what. It, let's talk about the tomato thing. We'll continue. So the reason that tomato skins are so tough now and they weren't is that they've been bred for shipping. Mm-hmm. And what. Are the is, tomato skins in your garden that way? Are the tomato skins at the farmer's market that way? I think. I think everyone has the ability to make that choice. And, and you know, and you, just to, when you were telling me, you were saying that if it doesn't come from healthy soil and it doesn't come from healthy farms, right. it's not food. Do you stand by that? The definition of food is, is, <laughs> is very debatable. And I, and I will say that this is all extremely subjective. I think if you're going to say in this context, just to recap, so far Dara has said that I believe children should not have fruit. No, I didn't um, say that. And I said that see, I made this a is where this, this is where children. we're going. Right? I made a choice to feed my children <laughs> strawberries from California in the winter months, which is fine. Because which was that's before your I had exactly. before I had kids. I was very much on this, you know, on this spectrum of uh, we shouldn't we should only have strawberries in season. Right. And then I actually had them. I was like, right. six months is much of the life of a right. two year old. <laughs> you know, so I'm not willing to prevent them from having it. And right. same thing, uh, cherry <laughs> tomatoes. That are, you know, coming from the big greenhouses and they're, you know, that's a facet. I think those things are fascinating. So these, the cherry tomato plants that grow in the greenhouses are 40, 50 feet long, you know, like they're, they're, they're very much like industrial things. But then again, they don't have any pesticides on them. Mm -hmm. The food that's coming out of them is healthy in winter. I mean, there are groups of people that are trying the best they can to figure out a way to grow produce in a controlled environment 
contributing some sort of soil. I've seen out in uh, Boulder, Colorado, there's a tomato that is, again, hydroponic, but what they're doing is they're actually using coconut pulp as the soil. From the Colorado coconuts? Exactly, from the Colorado coconuts. But this is this is where this all gets weird, right? Is that we, we're, we're going after and we're grasping at how can we fix this? How can we fix this? How can we fix this? And I still go back to, as I said to you back in the room, we... We forget about soil. We forget about that difference between what is dirt and what is soil. And, you know, again, um, Joel Salatin, he does not raise food. Joel Salatin grows grass. And if you don't know who that is, you should definitely Google box that guy's name. Because if you want to talk about what is farming and what is farm to table, this is a man that has spent more time and, you know, Okay, so I love It's all about soil and dirt. And And let's talk about the the general idea is that we need to respect the land, Mm -hmm. be part of it, Mm -hmm. uh, continue it for further generations, like not conceive of ourselves as like, you know, reality bots with virtual, you know, Google glasses on and like, you know, to actually, you actually have to care for the farm, care for the farmers, care for every part of that Mm -hmm. and be part of one integrated system, take responsibility, recognize yourself as part of it. Yeah. We are absolutely a part of nature. We are part of soil. We are part of this environment. We are part of all of it. So I think when it comes to this sort of conversation, I understand you've got to take your lunch downtown. You've got to send your kids off to school. You've got to do what you have to do. But that doesn't mean you just have to put the blinders on and just follow the light at the end of the tunnel that basically says, I have beautiful tomatoes for you 365 days a year and seasonality doesn't matter. And that's what I think is really key is that we look past this term of seasonality. I said to you earlier about citrus coming out of Florida. I love citrus. If you go to any restaurant you know, that's worth their weight in their pantry and their larder. You see all the pastry chefs in town. When do they do Meyer lemons? They don't do Meyer lemons in August. They do Meyer lemons and citrus all up in January, February, and March because that's when that stuff is at its peak and that's when it's at its best. And that's what I think restaurants have the ability to connect people to is give them a, give them a sense of what is absolutely the best right now. So right now we're talking tomatoes, we're talking blueberries, we're talking sweet corn is just on the front end. But I've heard about local sweet corn for three weeks now. Yes. I don't know that I believe local sweet corn for the last three weeks. It's there. It's good. I've always been a big proponent of front end of the season and the back end of the season I tend to stay away from. Back end of the season I'll still get into because there's always canning and pickling and preserving and, and all of that. But Front end of the season is always people that are rushing to get to the market. They want to pull that stuff maybe a little bit too soon and the flavor is not quite developed and it's not quite there. Okay. So. Well, that aside, so are we – Are we? have we actually come to an answer? Is the reason no. that people are kind of dismissing farm to table, don't feel energized by it is because we in the middle of it are so much in the weeds that we can't – we can't communicate the big policy, and the big policy is that this is a this is a about integrating people, valuing food, valuing farmers, valuing the land, and it's and it, we got distracted by it's the most expensive tomato yep. on the shelf. Yep, that oh. that that is that is a huge part of it. But I also think we 
the the issue with farm to table is the same issue that organic happened when you know Alice Water and Chez Panisse and we're talking about the seventies and this mescaline mix right these these greens happened then fast forward into the middle of the eighties and all of a sudden uh, everything is called organic you know the FDA changes standards and now more things are being let into the the organic pool that not necessarily would suffice in terms of that and I know that's evolution and I know that's growth and I know that. You know, we as a society have to do these sorts of things to figure it out and make it work. But at the same time, I think everyone is so overloaded with, my God, I don't need another Instagram of a barn and a farm dinner. I don't need another Instagram of me at the farmer's market. I I get it. I mean, go to the farmer's market, put down your phones, experience the farmer's market for what it is supposed to be and talk to that person. Talk to the people behind those tables. Ask them. How long have they been doing this? How are you doing this? Ask them why they've been doing this. Make that connection. That's That to me is a key component that's missing. And I think the people that do that, I think they're the ones supporting it. But to what extent and how long are we going to be able to support it? You know, I think there's there's people like you and I that could sit and have this conversation. And again, everybody else is starting to glaze over. And we would love to do this all day. And then there's a group of people we that We would not even, love to do this all day. I would this love to difficult. do this all day. <laughs> we're, we're juggling a lot of stuff here. But there's also people that have want no part of this, and that's fine. Let them not be a part of it. But there's this group of people in the middle, though. I feel sad people don't no, care let about them go. what they're eating. It's all I want about them to ch- care no. about their bodies and their lives. No. I want them to value That is not that. our place. I want to find, I and, care and this about is what them. I, <laughs> I want them to eat well. It is our place. Let them choose to eat what they need. Radical what I'm talking caring. about is dead center. A lot of people with a lot of questions. I'm talking about a lot of people that are sort of on the fence, and that is where people have to be stewards of what this really means and give them the correct information. I mean, there is, as we all know, you know. How do I say this? Uh, junk in, junk out <laughs> would be the yes. radio term. Um, so you know, but all right. The other radio no term people. is like we're running out of time. If you want to <laughs> see, if you want to really just get into the heart of this, you go see Scott Pompu hmm. at McKinney and Row. He is making <laughs> great foods. He is having the big thoughts. Uh, you, I'm going to have you come back because we didn't. We I was going to touch three third rails. We yeah. only got even to one. Yeah. We, we barely got that. off tomatoes. Yeah. But I think you have really helped me clarify, like what is been the what is going wrong in farm to table is that we kind of lost a thread. We lost a thread that it's about um, making food part of a as part of the great rainforest that we mm-hmm. are all in and not the aspirational status object on the shelf yeah. like that is that is what has got to go okay but we've also got to go to go to commercial break and say goodbye to scott pompu go see him at mckinney and row doing great cooking dara here Whew, that was exciting my heart is beating fast so that is one of the great one of the great gifts of my life has being been being a beat reporter and just getting to talk to people over the course of 20 years like it's amazing it's amazing the things I have learned and the relationships I have built with certain people and the way that their thought has informed mine and their my thought is perhaps, if I credit myself, <laughs> informed theirs, I don't know. All right, I'm going to inform you about some blueberry recipes. These are all up at WCCORadio.com, our new snazzy intercom website. Uh, so I've got the, of course it's blueberry season. 
That's something we can feel good about. I have some blueberry bushes in the backyard. They're in year two. They're only giving me a dozen blueberries or so, but I have hopes for the future. Uh, so what can you what can you do with them? Well, uh, first of all, just be happy. They're good. Um, they're at the farmer's markets. You can go to the U-Pick places. And then when you get your pint of blueberries, you can make some of the recipes that are up, including James Beard, our wonderful historical James Beard. I love him. He made a clafoodie. Clafoodie. So it's kind of like a – I like saying it, to say it with zest. Clafoodie. It's a kind of halfway between a cake and a custard. You're basically – you can clafoodie anything. Is you just put something in a pan, in a tart pan, or, a, or even a cast iron skillet, and you just pour this batter over it. So you could do it with raspberries, blackberries, blueberries. That's what we're talking about. Uh, pitted cherries, anything. Someone told me that they do it without pitting the cherries, but I think that sounds just like it would be difficult to eat. I don't know. Anyway, so I've got the recipe for that up there. James Beard's Blueberry Clafoodie. Very easy. Okay, now just kind of a weird one. But have you ever eaten like a, a real aspic, an old-fashioned before Jello was just Jello? Uh, you know, the thing that it was making fun of or, or emulating was on the table of kings. So you can still buy unflavored gelatin and you can mash up some blueberries and then you can make something that is blueberry aspic. Yeah, old stuff. Old style. Like what were the kings of England eating in 1900? Real blueberry aspic. It's actually delicious, and you can only make it when it's the blueberries are in season. It looks really cool. If you're a Jello head, like you might want to try it. It's kind of fun. If you're not a Jello head, you might want to skip it and make a blueberry margarita. That's delicious. So you can just make just about any summer drink, you know, blueberry style by smashing some blueberries in the bottom of the glass before you get going. You could do a Tom Collins, a mojito, lemonade. But uh, I don't know, blueberry margarita, that feels like summer. That would make it summer inside when it's so gray and rainy. I don't know. Of course, we have to talk about blueberry muffins. Those are the best. We've got Gail Gann's blueberry muffin recipe. Um, I just love her. She's a great chef. She has a great recipe. That's all I have to say. Though I will say always use muffin tin liners with the blueberry recipes because sometimes when you're doing a blueberry muffin, the blueberries will kind of stick to the edge of the pan. So it's definitely a you have to use those kind of paper or foil muffin tin liners when you're doing a blueberry muffin. And then my number one, my absolute favorite, it's got to be a blueberry pie. So Rose Levy Barenbaum, kind of a famous, uh, kind of a genius, really, of pastry cooking. And her way of making a blueberry pie is you just kind of cook your blueberries with sugar and cornstarch, cornstarch, and then you drip it into the, the already cooked crust, and it firms up. It looks like it's still not firm when it is, but it's like super powered with blueberry flavor. Really easy. Any kid you know, 10 or up could probably make this. And it's just delicious. Okay, so these are all up on the website, wccoradio.com. When we come up, I will answer when we I will answer your questions. 81807. Dara here. All right. So this is one of my favorite parts of the show. I answer your questions. So one of the questions that came in was on the text line is that, so what you are saying is we should eat seasonal foods and enjoy them and not eat just to eat. 
Yes, that is one of the things I am saying. And I think that what I am also saying is that the the thread that we have maybe lost in the farm to table movement is that the the point of this all in the middle of it all is that what we're trying to do, what we should be trying to do is to value farms, value farmers, and then value the heritage that we inherited. All of those Everything that we have inherited that we stand on, the different kinds of barley, the different kinds of tomatoes, those are kind of – those are passed down to us. They're messages from the past about what's nutritious and how we can sustain ourselves. And so I think what we lost – and maybe it's just me in the city in you know my uh, restaurant universe – have become too interested in status – and what things look like and that and that we need to really see farms farmers and the the value in the heritage we inherited and so that's what i think i'm trying to get at with this this is a uh, this is a, a one of those kind of slow moving like you suddenly find yourself in a crisis and you didn't know you were th- getting into that that's where i feel like farm to table is right now is that uh, the urgency and the newness of it has been lost and uh, millennials especially i feel like are are maybe you know the people ahead of like us generation x that i'm part of we kind of haven't been transmitting what is important about it and so people are not valuing what is important about it all right well, i think this is going to be something we're going to end up talking about for a while but that's what i would say is a, if i could fa- frame it up for you the thing to value is the farm, the farmers, you know, the things that are coming out of the farm seasonally that are helping the soil, and then this heritage that we inherited, it's it's hugely important. It's valuable for health. It's valuable for the society. It's just valuable. Okay, so now we get to the, the smaller picture questions, such as, uh, I've got a, a, a Twitter. I'm on the Twitter, at Dear Dara. And we've got a question up north. Got a bunch of sage. They're at a, a cabin and wondering what to do with with sage in cocktails. So that is a great question. Sage, we don't talk about it enough. But here's what you can do. You can pick the sage and it's all leathery and it's not, not terrific to, you know, maybe put inside a mojito or something like that. But you can make it into a simple syrup. This is very easy. So all you're doing is same way you would make a mint simple syrup for you know, your 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 minty drinks, uh, you will make a sage simple syrup. So you'll just put the sage leaves in a little saucepan, put some sugar on top of it. You could also do maple syrup if you have some. Uh, cook that down until it dissolves. Then you strain away, let it cool. You strain away the sage. And then you have this, uh, you know, sugar sage syrup. And that is a gimlet. You put that with some gin that's a gimlet. Or you can put a little bit of that into uh, gin ricky. So yeah, sage. That was a good question. You don't see it too much, but you should. I got another question. Uh, I've got a, someone's got a kid who's really into Nailed It, that show that's all about pastry on the, on the gosh, I don't even know where it is. I think it's on Netflix. And it's uh, Jacques Torres makes these very fancy um pastries and then amateur or semi-professional cooks try to emulate it. So a kid who's really into nailed it and do any bakeries around here make anything like what you see on nailed it? Yes. 
There are a couple. So there's a place called Patrick's Bakery. They have a few locations, including in the, the Bachman's in South Minneapolis. They make some very fancy pastries like you would see on Nailed It. Patisserie 46, that's probably the leading one. And Rose Street Patisserie, they have very elaborate desserts. And if you're really thinking more of those like ganache little elves and pigs and cute things that they can make out of sugar paste, uh, there's a bakery called Coco and Fig in town. It's Coco and Fig. And they will make, you know, if you're just like, I would like a little zoo menagerie made out of ganache. They know how to do those things, That's a but that's a special order for a birthday, and it'll cost you. So if you want to just casually, Patrick's Bakery and Patisserie 46. And isn't that cute? The kids are into Nailed It. They're learning about the pastry arts. Children learn about ganache, very important stuff. Okay, so what are we doing next week? Next week, Adam Sachs from Travel and Leisure. He came to town a couple months ago to do a travel story on Minneapolis and St. Paul, I showed him around. I showed him the sights. I dragged him up to Pig Ate My Pizza. I dragged him over to Corner Table. And while we were talking about, you know, what's the essence of Minneapolis and St. Paul, it kind of got me thinking, how do you do that? How do you how do you parachute into a city and discover its essence in a way that you can stand behind and then publish a story of it? Because great travel writing, that's hard to do and it's a great gift. I try to do great travel writing, but I'm always up for learning more. So I'm going to have Adam Sachs on. We're going to talk about all that. Um, should be a good show. And then uh, till then, you should check your check your cherry tree for Japanese beetles. It happened to me, so you should look look out and see what happened. What's happening in your garden? Until then, I hope that you're uh, feeling very strong and that your meringue on your blueberry tart is very flexible. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.